Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 90 of Weighing In. I'm your host, Alex Steen, alongside David Mirakatani. David, how are things out there? It is hot, my friend. Um, <laughs> I'm getting back to running and working out. We did that in about 92-degree heat, and uh, it is a quick reminder of how old I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> it is hot. How are things in Tulsa, man? It is hot everywhere, and it's hot here, too. <laughs> Played softball Friday night. It was 105. I I don't think you can ever get used to that sort of heat. No, it's uh, and we're bringing some heat up in Fargo, but it's a different kind of heat. This is just you walk outside and thank God for air conditioning kind of heat. Absolutely, I bet it was hot in the dome even with air conditioning. Uh, yeah, for sure, man. And you know, we talked a little bit about that tournament last week, but there were some more stories after we signed off because they finished the Greco up after last Tuesday. Absolutely. I mean, they finished up. We were just coming on with the junior women. We're still finishing up, and then Greco was still to go. Um, Sage Mortimer made a little bit of history. I, she had quite a week. Uh, she's making the headlines as the first All-American in Greco, the first female to All-American in Greco when she placed seventh in the junior division. But one of the things I think that's not getting enough play, she's cadet eligible. She won the cadets in women's freestyle, finished second to the world champion Emily Shilson in junior freestyle, then All-American in Greco. That's that's a spectacular week. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and there's so many storylines to follow from up there, and there's just no way. You know, you did a great job. I was really impressed before it started, some line storylines you had picked out, but there's always just these ones that seem to come out of nowhere just because there's so much to follow. And it was the timing of her accomplishment um, right after, for me, getting to talk to Terry Steiner about the health of the women's program. And that interview is up on track wrestling right now, but they just received a huge donation of $500,000 a year for the next three years. And he talked about how once a year, the, the girls or the women, depending on which group of all ages, do a training camp together and the camaraderie of that group. And, you know, I mentioned to him that when I was up there at the OTC, they literally stopped practice and they were watching track wrestling on Coach Steiner's phone. And you didn't even, like, they were all huddled around it. You didn't even need to know the score. You could just tell by the girl's reaction when she was losing and when she was winning. So that was a pretty cool thing to sort of watch secondhand. Yeah, it's definitely great, the community uh, coming together like that and all the competitive wrestlers getting together. Um, at the national level, I mean, those are the people that are going to be fighting for spots on world teams and getting together. But, you know, that's all freestyle. We haven't seen a lot of women's Greco. I know this wasn't the first girl to wrestle Greco in Fargo, but it's very rare. And it was the first one to All-American. And to go right. inside that, we also had the first girls Greco duels being held in Iowa, in Idaho. There were 12 teams from 10 different states. Women's Greco is all of a sudden having a moment, and I mean, you talk about a niche of a niche sport, but this is something that we might see just develop, just like women's wrestling has exploded. We might see women's Greco explode a little bit. What do you think about that? Well, I think obviously we think it's great. I think the other thing is it's it's really good for Greco, period, because you know we talked last week about how. The reason why Greco doesn't get a lot of love is because, you know, really goes to recruiting. And if 
you know, just because you have good Greco skills, that doesn't necessarily translate to collegiate. And so, you know, college coaches are giving scholarships so you can win matches in that style in their in their singlet uniform. But women's Greco, you know, right now there is no female equivalent of Greco. It's like men's, women's, and then Greco. So that would be a huge benefit to the Gary Mayabs, to the Matt Linlands of the world, and probably help RTCs as well. So, I mean, it's, it's an exciting development. And Greco's Greco. I mean, like, you know, wrestling's wrestling. You know, I watched um, and participated and did some coaching in Greco. And, you know, the skills are the skills. You know, the footwork, the handles, all those things. It doesn't – female, male really doesn't matter at all. So I think that's, you know, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And, um, you know, we're working actually on probably putting a uh, girls match or two in our next all-star charity event to uh, continue to try and, – and a Greco match or two to try to continue to elevate um, both of those styles in, in both of those groups. That's good stuff, and I hope United World Wrestling is paying attention. I know they've talked about, you know, there not being enough demand for women's Greco at that level, but, uh, you know, that was part of the problem with almost losing wrestling in the Olympics was the lack of equality between women's freestyle and the men's side. I hope they're paying attention to this because we want to be ahead of that. and don't need to, don't need to fight that battle again. Uh, staying in Fargo, Illinois – once again, just dominated the age group competitions. They set a team scoring record in junior Greco. Just everywhere you look, guys are winning in Illinois singlets. What sticks out to you? Why do they do so good, David? Well, you know, I, it's very interesting. You know, I think we all have theories. You know, I got a chance to talk to Kerry Bowmans for a week at the Olympic Training Center. And first of all, what a cool guy, handsome, and a great storyteller. He just—he's the kind of guy you and me would just want to go eat wings with and hang out with. Just unbelievably nice, self-deprecating. Had his sons up there, really kind of just hung out on the wall and let the other people teach his kids. But he also did an interview, which will which will pop up here in the next week or so. But he talked about, and I'm not going to give away their secret secret sauce, but he did. You know, he said they concentrate on very specific things as part of Team Illinois. And, and probably the best analogy I can make is, you know, let's say you and I and, you know, four other guys were all the same, you know, year in school and um, we're graduating. We're about to become seniors here and we all have a 3.5 grade point average. But you're in Tulsa. I'm in Kirkwood. Somebody else is in New York City and somebody else is in the smallest town in Arkansas. It's almost impossible to know which of those 3.5s Maybe one of them is better than the other. Maybe they're all equal, but it's really impossible to tell. And, you know, okay, well, they took honors classes. Well, they're at a prep school. Well, they're at a public school, but the school's highly rated or the school isn't highly rated. And that's why tests like the ACT and the SAT exist to sort of give a measuring stick to kids across the country. So if you got a 32 and I got a 27, your 3.5 is probably better than mine. If I can only get an 18, it probably says my 3.5 is padded with either a lot of really soft classes. Theoretically, I might be an awful test taker, but more likely, it's just I'm not as smart as you. The measuring sticks for wrestling in high school, I mean, there's a couple, obviously, right? Iron Man, Super 32s. 
But a lot of it, you have to be on a good team to get to a lot of those, especially Ironman. Super 32, a little different. But again, you know, the periods are really short there. Fargo is probably the equivalent of the ACT or SAT. So then if you go, okay, well, that maybe you'll buy that analogy. I think Illinois has the best ACT and, and SAT prep people in the country. They've been winning it the longest. They know how to win all the close matches. They do. I think they work on things that other people don't work on. And one of the things is they make guys come to camp and they have a week long camp. And, you know, I've talked to some of the Missouri people about it. And, um, you know, I, you know, Donnie Reynolds is listening. I talked to you about following you guys this year. I want to follow you next year. I think there's some awesome storylines there, but the organization from the top down, I think creates an environment for success. And then I think, you know, you and I each talked about our junior national Fargo experiences. I think if either one of us was on team Illinois, we're like, okay, well, they expect us to win. Like we're used to winning. So I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, what is your take on it? Well, I really like your analogy because, you know, just like there are bad test takers that kind of skew uh, the data on standardized tests, it, it's the same with freestyle. There are some guys that aren't great at freestyle or Greco, you know, that will succeed in folk style. So there are going to be outliers and people will use those to kind of shape their argument based on whether they want think wrestling freestyle is good or bad or what, you know, indifferent, doesn't matter. They'll use that. They'll take the examples that help their case. So it's good to talk about this as a broad topic. I mean, obviously Illinois talked about it before that how many, how many people they take to Fargo. And then you have to look at how many people wrestle freestyle and Greco in that state that don't ever get that far. Um, that kind of thing. It's obvious that the machine is in place. Um, the organization from the top down, the, you know, the important club coaches, the important high school coaches are engaged. And then they do have that camp as kind of the finishing school. Obviously you, no matter how good a coach you are in a week, you can't take, you know, a guy that's going to go Oh, and two and turn him into an all American. But if you have the talent, you can take those guys that are borderline and push them to be an all American. You've got to have those guys that are title contenders and make them champions. That's the kind of stuff. And I love that you hit on the fact, the expectations and the attitude. You have so many guys going from Illinois that expect to win. And that's the expectation now. Team title, yeah. stop signs, you know, multiple, you know, double champions. They had three sets of brothers on the podium. Like this is, this is just what they do at this point. And so all of that helps just, keep the ball rolling. The coaches can say, Hey, look at our track record. And that's instant buy-in from the younger, younger kids. Like I've seen all these guys win. Now I get to be that guy. So once you get it rolling, it's easier to keep it rolling. It's not, you know, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier to win at that point. So I think that's what they've got going for them. They've just built this incredible machine. And now who's going to stop them? That's the question. I know Minnesota wants to, and they've had some chances, but, you know, they, and they've got a good machine too, but the other yeah. that don't have the infrastructure, they have a lot of work to do. Well, it's also interesting, you know, for the people that make the argument, well, Illinois wins Fargo because of their numbers. They won the schoolboy duels. They won one of the two cadet duels and they won one of the two 
junior duels and were sort of a Hail Mary pin away from being in the finals of the other junior duels. So it isn't just quantity for those guys. It's also quality. And I think maybe an underrated part of those expectations is more of their best guys come out and wrestle. Absolutely. There's a lot of other states where their their best guys don't go to Fargo. You know, and, and, and you know, I mean, we're not going to point people out because, I mean, you know, everybody's got their own thing going on. But I think Illinois gets more of their elite guys, more of the cream of the crop guys to go. And, I mean, like, when I was at Schoolboy Duels, I was interviewing because we were also out there for the Greco uh, under-20 world trials. And Mikey Benefield, who, um, you know, wrestled for us here, he was one of the coaches. And, you know, his saying was, Illinois is doing Illinois things. Like, it's exactly what you're saying. Like, yeah, they're supposed to win. Yeah, like stop signs are an expectation. Winning the team title is an expectation. And your statement of who's going to beat Illinois, that's when you know you're the hammer. You know, like in basketball, who's going to beat Golden State? You know, in football, like, you know, it was a, a surprise to some people that Philadelphia beat New England. Like, you know, you, you want to become that team that everyone is trying to knock off. So even if it happens once in a while, people like next year, people are going to expect Illinois to sweep all the duels, you know, and my friend Kyle Martin was a big part of the Pennsylvania staff that won uh, the cadet freestyle. So shout out to those guys. But, you know, that was a surprise to the general wrestling public. Most people expected Illinois to win that. Right, and it will go up and down. You know, there will be good good years and bad years for every state. But you know, you and I, we've looked at events beforehand and start previewing them. You can pretty much pencil in, okay, I'm going to have to look at Illinois because I know they're going to be good. Like I don't have to, I don't have to wonder if they're going to bring good guys and be tough and be a contender. I know they're going to be a contender, and that's they've earned that at this point. And there's a few other states that have, but you're right. You know, there's so many events now you can build your schedule pretty much however you want. You know, if you want to focus on the end of season tournaments in March and April and May, you can do that. If you want to do, you know, world team trials, and then if you don't make the team rest until Folkstyle, you can do that. Illinois has made their choice. Like, you know, they are going to do duels and Fargo and, you know, just try to beat everybody right, right there. That's their thing. So they've, that's Illinois now. They've thrown down the gauntlet. Everybody else knows exactly what to expect. So it's up to somebody else to decide they want to un, un, dethrone the king. Yeah, for sure. Anything else on Fargo? Um, well, maybe not the competition, but, you know, sort of tied to that. You know, there was the sort of controversy last year about Rudis setting up their tent. And, uh, you know, it looks like they did that again this year. And then, their shoe sales have been kind of kind of insane so far, right? Yep. Like literally their website shut down? Yes, they crashed their website. The traffic was overwhelming despite the fact, I mean, they obviously anticipated a, a large influx of traffic with all that going on. Um, they had a promotion where the first X number of shoes that were ordered would be signed by Kyle Snyder. He decided to sign all of them up to a certain date and time. Um, so everybody, even ones over and above that number are going to get signed shoes. So that was really cool to see. Uh, but yeah, 
crashed the site. It was a huge deal. I even, you know, I haven't been on the mat in a little while. I'm not sure when I'll be on the mat again. And I was still thinking, you know, it'd be kind of cool to have those shoes signed by Kyle Snyder. I thought about it. So if I'm thinking about it, I, I can imagine how many people ordered these things. It's just, I mean, it's great. I hope the shoes are great. I think if Kyle Snyder is endorsing them and is wearing them, I would, I trust his opinion. Uh, but it's great to have another company in the shoe game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, and it, but it's tricky though, right? Because, um, I mean, the obvious thing is, you know, competition is good for, for the people that are part of it. Um, you know, but Nike is a, a big uh, promoter of USA Wrestling. And so, you know, that's sort of the other side of it is, you know, they, they've paid a lot of money to be, you know, the host here, you know, the, the sponsoring company. And, you know, so it's going to be interesting. You know, I've talked to some other people and it does look like, you know, they may be trying to at least implement some of the, the things we've talked about in terms of um, maybe just creating a more of a of a funnel structure for Fargo, like um, using the states to funnel into the regionals and using the regionals to funnel into the nationals. But um, it has been a long time. And you kind of, you know, one of the things that made me wonder was like, what would a John Smith have been like? What would have, you know, obviously Burroughs was with, Asics, but they didn't put this kind of effort behind him. And, you know, John was with Brute and, you know, a couple different people with Adidas, but, you know, Brutus is a wrestling company only. And I think that allows them to kind of do some more unique things that, that other companies haven't done in the past either. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a gamble from Kyle Snyder's standpoint going with Brutus. I mean, sure, I'm sure he doesn't see it that way. Um, but when you go with a Rudis versus a Nike, there are pros and cons to that. Obviously, Nike, we know, knows how to build a brand. They know how to market an athlete. But you also know you're not going to be the number one guy at Nike. Rudis, he's the number one guy, and there's no question about that. They're going to do everything they possibly can to market him because he's their golden goose right now. And they're good and bad with that, but I, I agree with you. I think within the wrestling community, he's going to be huge. I'm not sure about how much he can cross over, although that's a question no matter who you go with. I mean, even if you're going with Nike, how much are you going to cross over outside of Olympic years? You know, we saw Jordan Burroughs win all those titles, and then Olympic year, he gets a couple of national commercials. You know, he gets a little bit of attention, but he's not, you know, wrestling is just, we have our place right now. And, there's a, a limited ceiling to that. So I, I don't blame him. I, I like Rudis gear and I, you know, enjoy seeing what they're doing with him so far. I think they're off to a good start. And as long as the products are quality, which everything from Rudis that I've seen suggests they will be, I think it's going to work out well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly going to be interesting. I mean, one of the things those guys have going is they keep coming up with really cool designs. Cause it's funny, like, you know, you're younger than me. But we're both. I I shouldn't put you in this category, but I will. We're both past our prime <laughs> in terms of of competing. That's um, fair. <laughs> is that kind and fair, sir? That's fair. <laughs> and uh, um, you know, like people are saying, like I mean, I know guys that are you know around you know between your age and my age, and they were on that website day one ordering shoes just to rock them as coaches. So I think you know 
clearly they've hit on something that uh, is sticking out. And and I think one of the cool things is the shoes that are on honoring Dave Schultz because Dave Schultz was one of my heroes. So I, I just think that part's awesome. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's one of those touches that Rudis has hit on because they've had the Sly Fox gear for a while. And I think that's one of those things that being more in tune with the wrestling community than say a bigger, you know, company that does all sorts of different sports. They saw that early and it's a great thing that they keep Dave's name out there. And, you know, when these new wrestlers come up that maybe they don't know who Dave Schultz is, they see this gear and then that's a, that's an entry point to tell the story. So they're keeping part of that history alive. And that's, that's a great thing. I completely agree with that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, like, like you said, the competition is a good thing. I understand that there are rights contracts and things of that nature. So that, you know, you have to respect those contracts, but you know, at the end of the day, anything that is good for wrestling that gets more buzz, more money in the pockets of the athletes, you know, more good gear in the sport. Cause there's plenty of not good gear out there. Um, <laughs> any, anything that does that is a good thing in my book. And so, you know, they want to do a little guerrilla marketing. I'm okay with that. Well, as long as you approve, I think they can sleep at night, right? Well, you know, you have to wrestling <laughs> doesn't ask me these things, but you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. Well, you have to give them a ton of credit for creativity, you know, in terms of their designs and their marketing and everything else. And um, anytime you can crash a website and come out on the other side of it and people are happy with you, you've certainly done something right. I mean, that's sort of, un, you know, undeniable. So good for them. Absolutely. Um, moving on to a little bit of news in the D1 ranks this week, Heath Esslinger. Uh, Chattanooga resigned as the head coach to pursue a, an opportunity with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, I think it caught everybody off off guard a little bit. Not that he moved on and that where he went, because we all know he's a great speaker, a great motivational guy, and very committed to that cause. But that it happened now. Um, were you surprised by it, David? Yeah, the timing of it. Um... You know, I've talked to a lot of coaches, and a lot of coaches, you know, if they're off the record, they'll tell you there's really you know, only a handful of programs in the country where you can actually win because you need to have a lot of things in place, good in-state wrestling, good facilities, you know, alumni support, good RTC, all those kind of things. And, you know, I think Chattanooga falls in the vast majority of the program where you'd have to have lightning strike to win a national title as a team. But, you know, Heath is a guy of faith. Um, you know, the first time my parents went down to scuffle, you know, I, I texted Heath and told, told them they were coming down. He, you know, said, make sure they, you know, call me when they get there and introduce myself to them. And, you know, he spent several minutes talking to him about, about, you know, wrestling and about his program, but also about his faith. And, um, you know, my parents are very spiritual people. And so I just, you know, I always had a warm place in my heart for Heath wrestling or just anytime somebody treats your parents right. You like him, you know, so um, I, I'm sure he's going to do great. I think it's just, you know, unquestionable. He's going to probably kill his new gig and uh, FCA and Carl Perry and Mark Messamach and those folks know they got a good one with him. And, you know, Heath is always a guy that found peace, uh, not in winning and losing, but just in, in fighting the good fight and, and running his own race. So, you know, I wish him all the best. Absolutely. And 
I couldn't second wishing him all the best more than I do. Um, he did a nice job at Chattanooga, and I think that's one of those, you know, you hit on he found peace not in the winning and losing, and that's that can be important sometimes at a program like Chattanooga. Not that they shouldn't have aspirations to win, but that it's going to be difficult. And a lot of times in college athletics, especially, we just look at these, you know, who can get guys, who can get a team in the top 10, who can, you know, push for a team trophy. You know, there are 70, 61 teams. Not everybody right. can finish in the top 10 every year. It's just not possible. And we still need good quality people developing young men, ensuring the future of their program. You know, he's got the scuffle as one of the premier regular season events in college wrestling. He's done a great job there and he's leaving that program in good hands. It's a, it's a good situation. And whether that means, you know, Kyle Rochelle, who's the interim coach or somebody else comes along to take it over, the next guy has a chance to build on that. And I think that's a very, that's a credit to Heath and all he's done. Um, it'll be interesting to see who takes that job long-term. Well, between your connections and Haney Hamilton's connections and, and my my connections, I have a feeling, you know, we'll probably see, you know, they've talked about making it a national search, which, you know, I think they should do, obviously. But it is, isn't you know, a much more attractive job than it was before Heath got there. And that's really the biggest compliment you can give any coach when they leave. Absolutely. And, I mean, I know I saw it listed and, you know, the pay is not astronomical, but I think – when you look at it, there are D1 jobs that pay less and you get to live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is not, you know, a high cost of living area. It's a nice town. And it's, you know, it's, if you want to be a D1 head coach, you're not doing it for the money. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. So you're right. It's a good situation. Um, and there's only 70 something of them. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's the ultimate thing that people need, you know, people do realize, but they need to remember is, it isn't like basketball where there's 300 jobs. I mean, there's less than 80, and they don't come open that often. And Chattanooga has been patient with their coach in terms of winning and losing, in terms of having realistic expectations. You know, the right person gets in there. They can improve the program. And, you know, if we're honest, a lot of these programs are starter programs where, you know, you do great, and then these other bigger programs, when they see you, um, you know, that's how you, you jump up to the level. So I think whoever's going to take that job is definitely going to, you know, be able to hit the ground running. And the wrestling in the southwest, or the southeast, excuse me, part of the country, is continuing to get better with Florida and Georgia and, and Tennessee and those kind of things. So it makes recruiting a little bit easier, too. Absolutely. I mean, there's not a lot of D1 programs down that way. And I mean, there's none in Georgia. There's none in Florida. So all those kids have, you know, if they're going to try to stay as close to home as they can, UTC is a great place to look at. So, Sure. The other college wrestling news, and it's not new, breaking news by any means, but it's something really interesting that no one really knows how it's going to play out just yet, are the changes to the transfer rule for the upcoming season. Um, you know, we had the Suriano saga last offseason – seems like we've had a transfer kind of problem several off seasons in a row now. And if these transfer rules go, we won't have that anymore. We won't have to worry about, 
you know, getting permission from the school just to walk through the rule real quick. Basically the idea now is you no longer need permission from the school you're at to transfer. You go in, you tell them you're going to transfer. They put your name in a database. And at that point, any coach in the country can contact you to talk about moving on to their school. Um, you don't have to sit a year. You don't have to, you know, omit a scholarship offer. You can take funds right away. Basically, it puts a lot of power in the hands of the kid. Um, David, obviously, you dealt with athletes and you know coached at the college level. What does this do to trying to build a team? It changes things on so many multiple levels, and I don't even know if we'll be able to get through all of it. You know, with what the time we have left. But first of all, it's important for people to understand that this just makes it fair for everyone because the good coaches were always poking around, finding out who's unhappy, who might want to leave. Like in junior college, like, well, hey, who's going to be on academic probation at D1 school X, but we could get him in a junior college. I mean, this, these are, if you're a good coach, you're already doing all these things. It's just sort of now you don't have to, you know, do it in, in, in the shadows. The second part of this, which, a lot of people don't understand is this is going to have a gigantically negative effect on the academic progression rate of the APR. And the APR, without getting into a lot of detail, is it's about retaining and kids and then progressing towards graduation. So it's a point system, and in a given year, a, a, a student athlete can go four for four, two for two in the fall and two for two in the spring. No one has figured out if one of these kids leaves how to not have to take a gigantic hit on the APR. They're going to have to figure that out because literally if you fall below the APR threshold, first you go on probation and then you actually um, are disqualified from a year of postseason competition. Right. So, I mean, that is obviously significant. You know, like if you and me are on a team and five of the guys leave and now we can't go to nationals, I mean, that's the worst of everything. All our good training partners left and now we don't get to go to, you know, try to make nationals because they left. I mean, there's a bunch of tangents to this. One of the things, and, you know, I'm going to just lay this out there and kind of, you know, I'm sort of, I guess, playing. First of all, I think it's great for kids that they don't have to, you know, if they, don't, if they want to leave, they want to leave. I also think, you know, when you're 18 to 23, sometimes you're your man on a Thursday, and, if, you know, by Monday you look at it differently. So, you know, and I also think this, it is going to be unbelievably hard with recruiting now. Like, you can never stop recruiting because you don't know who's going to leave. I mean, and people are going to be poaching – I think one of the tangents of this is that, you know, we talked about, you said there's 76 schools and, you know, there's a pretty consistent top 20. There's probably only 30 schools that are, you know, generally in the top 20. So if I'm coaching at XYZ university and I finally put a guy on the podium, now it's a lot easier to go after that kid. Cause all you have to do is just have somebody tell them, Hey, over here at top five university, we'd love to have you. And I, I think that's going to happen a lot. I think that's 
it's like anytime you change anything, there's always tangential developments that people don't anticipate or don't don't see coming, or maybe they do, but they just think, well, that might be bad, but the good outweighs that. I think the rich are going to get richer out of all of this. And do you see it that way? Yeah, I mean, I think that's hard to argue with. I mean, we've already seen that to a certain extent with the transfers as they are now. Um, so eliminating another barrier for kids that want to do that, you would expect nothing more than more kids to move on to bigger and better schools if that's what they want to do. Um, you mentioned the APR, and that was interesting because that was my first thought as well, because transfers can hurt your APR. However, I did find a thing today from an NCAA spokesperson that said, if a student athlete transfers with a 2.6 GPA or better, they won't hurt the APR for the losing school, which that eases my mind some. Obviously, you still don't have control of a kid that has <laughs> GPA less than that transferring. That will hurt your APR. And, you know, I mean, we've seen Buffalo miss a postseason as Stutzman was taking over, he, and he cleaned up that mess, and they're in good shape now. But, you know, that, that kind of stuff happens. You do That has real consequences, and I think you're right. You know, if you, you miss a postseason, especially now with free transfers, who's going to stay? You know, they're all going to leave. So one of the things I did like about the rules, I was reading up on it today, is that they're moving tampering up to a level two NCAA violation, which is more serious than it has been. Basically, this is the concept now that, okay, don't talk to these kids because as soon as they want to transfer, we're going to let you talk to them. Now, you know, I'm not naive. I understand you know, all these coaches and all yeah. these kids run in the same circles. They're going to find ways around it, but hopefully that will at least stop the overt, you know, overtures being made. I will it. it I don't know, but maybe it'll slow. It's not going to change anything. Yeah. It's not going to change anything, Alex. I mean, the guys that, you know, everybody has people they can go to and say like, Hey, you know, school X knows me. And they know I have, you know, connections to these kids, you know, just because I'm, you know, a business person. I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and they go, hey, tell this kid we're interested in getting it, you know. Right. And, th I mean, it's not going to – that. It, it's nice. I'm glad they changed the rule. So it's only going to penalize the really dumb cheaters. Yeah. Well, and I think that's – I guess it's good. I think that's really all the NCAA can do at this point because, you know, you can't sure. really stop, you know, one of your kids that's wrestling on the same world team as another kid from saying, Hey, you should come be you know, teammates with me. Like you can't stop that stuff. There's always a way around it. Just kind of eliminates the overt stuff. So you're right. You have to kind of dump there's a couple other, And there's a couple other things just to point out to this. One of them is, you know, if people follow all sports like you and I do, the red shirt rule in football has been changed to where they can play in four games before they burn their red shirt. That is not applicable to wrestling. And, you know, a couple, I asked some people and found that out. The other probably, you know, and I'm a sales guy, so I always like thinking in analogies. Probably the best analogy I could come up with on this was that the old transfer rules and the, were almost like the old contracts were like the NFL, where the team had the power. So the team, you know, the team gives XYZ you know, a $4 million a year contract or an 80% scholarship or whatever the case may be. 
And then if you break the rules or you, you know, in, in the NFL, if you don't perform, they can cut you in NTA. It can't be performance based, but you know, all the coaches know how to find other, you know, guy missed practice or something like that. The new rules are like major league baseball where the contracts are guaranteed. And now they're like really major league baseball where everybody's on a one-year contract with free agency, except it's not two-way free agency. It's only one-way free agency, which is you sign me to a scholarship at the end of the year. You have to honor my scholarship the next year as long as I obeyed all the rules, but I can go put myself in the database. And that's probably the one thing I struggle with is if, you know, because I'm not sure that that's fair. I'm not saying it is. I'm just, I haven't got my head wrapped around all that yet, but I mean, that's going to be interesting. The one question that I think I did get an answer to about mid-season eligibility, a guy can transfer, but I'm still trying to get the answer on whether he'd be eligible at the second school, second semester. But if he is, it would count as two years of his eligibility. So I think what you're going to see a lot of is schools that have a lot of lineup questions, you know, and, and you know, we're not going to name those schools, but I mean, people are smart enough to figure out who they are. It's going to make sense for them to wrestle as many of these guys and use their eligibility in the fall. Because then, you know, now it, it doesn't help that guy to transfer. Right. So there, there's going to be a lot more fallout of this. And I'm not sure that the rules on this, uh, you know, are, are going to be done. The answer to fixing that problem is, does this push wrestling to become a one-semester sport? And there's certainly arguments for that. One of the things that people may not realize, and we've talked about it on this podcast when Andy and I were doing it, is if if wrestling becomes a one-semester sport, then the seasons, obviously, the Nationals are going to get pushed back at least till April. Otherwise, there'd be no point in doing it. It's to get away from basketball. And once you, you know, and help the kids academically and not make, you know, literally be able to have a Thanksgiving dinner, those sort of things, and Christmas. But one of the main things is to not be involved in any of the March Madness. If you do that, you are now holding your nationals at the same time as the NBA playoffs and the hockey NHL playoffs. When that happens, any city that has an NBA franchise or an NHL franchise can no longer be a host city. Because like when St. Louis bids for the nationals, when they get it, it's so far out. They can tell the St. Louis Blues, you can't be home for these five days. Well, and they'll work around that. Like San Antonio Spurs do that every year when the rodeo comes to town. But that's not going to happen with the playoffs. So you're going to eliminate almost all the cities that have held nationals the last 20 years. I mean, like New York City, St. Louis, um, Philadelphia, I mean, Pittsburgh this coming year, none of these, none of these cities could hold it because it's the same arena that their NBA or NHL team plays. So it's going to be, again, there's going to be a lot more fallout of this that people really have thought about right now. It's certainly going to be interesting. Yeah. And I think it was interesting. I mean, I know they had a proposal on the table to go to a one semester sport long before these transfer rules were in place. So 
I think that was already a discussion point. So obviously, it's, again, this is worth talking about. It's interesting you talk about, you know, eliminating all the arenas and so many of them would be eliminated. It would make this, the experiment in Minneapolis in a couple of years when they're going to have it in the football stadium that much more important because they're not doing anything in a football stadium in April, guaranteed. So if that experiment... Well, do, you think that, do you think that that's a coincidence that they got, that they got one of the bids? No, absolutely not. I think that's I think that's part of the <laughs> yeah. experiment. You have to you have to see if you yeah. can make that work. And it it presents so many options. You know, I talked to the organizers a little bit when it came out. It's going to be really interesting to see how they set up because I know that they're not trying to fill, you know, the stadium as you would on a Vikings game day. Like that's not the point. They're just going to try to make it a little bigger, and then because of all of the different uh, configuration options they have they're hoping to make it an even better experience for the fans and they're very cognizant of you know sight lines and how far you are from the action we'll see you know us wrestling fans were a famously crotchety bunch we you know we don't like change very much uh, but if they can do that well then suddenly all that arena stuff doesn't really matter as much it's much simpler to go well we can just have it at football stadiums. You know, there are plenty of those around. So that's that'll be interesting to keep it on. That's a great point. It's a great point. The St. Louis guys that I know didn't want to bid it because they are terrified the sight lines are going to be terrible. And it's it's possible. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because obviously it's in Minneapolis in March, so there's a reasonable chance the weather's going to be brutal. And <laughs> I think there's. <laughs> I'm being diplomatic here, it's, it's, but you know, the funny thing is, so you have that giant arena and, you know, we, we we're used to FanFest being in different places, you know, in St. Louis, a lot of times it, it was down in Union Station and there's other places you can walk to. I, I remember in Detroit back in 2007, I think it was in the parking lot in a tent, which was odd. But in Minneapolis, you could have it right there. You could partition it off. You know, you'd have fans that you'd never have to leave the building. You can just go over to FanFest, get something to eat, grab a beer, and wait for the next session to start if the weather's really bad outside. Now, I don't know if they're going to do that or not, but you have the space. It's a, it's, it is a very, very, very likelihood that they are. I mean, I would expect so, right? It makes a lot yeah, But I mean, the people I've spoken to, that's unless something has changed, because I'm not on that planning committee, but the people I've talked to said that's that's at this point that's how it's going to be. That's good. So that, like I said, that'll be really interesting. And then you know that that would free up a lot as far as moving to the to the one semester sport. I know there is a window before after March Madness, or at least maybe on the last weekend of March Madness, depending on um, where exactly you want to go, and before the NHL and NBA playoffs start. But then if you're doing that on a one semester sport, your season is pretty short. So I'm not sure if that would fit or not. Um, yeah. You're essentially moving it back two weeks and cutting off seven weeks on the front end. Right. Which, yeah. no, that's not as, as drastic as that sounds. I'm not sure it's a terrible thing. I mean, you look at guys internationally wrestling much fewer matches even even as kids, you know, even as they're developing, they wrestle a lot fewer matches. Maybe it's 
maybe that's not a bad thing. I mean, you look at the attendance numbers for duels and even regular season tournaments, it's not exactly, they're not exactly raking them in. So you're not exactly protecting a lot of revenue in that, um, in that aspect. So if it's better for the athletes, I would obviously not like it as a fan because I get to see them less, but it might be worth exploring even if you do shorten the season. Well, certainly one of the interesting things is things like the scuffle, things like Midlands, things like the South Beach duels would become you know, kickoff events, essentially. They would be what start the season. One of the, you know, because it would be in December. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the other things that is that people don't think about is for the big schools, especially like the Big Ten schools, they don't need to do anything but wrestle each other to qualify for the, that gold status. But some of these other schools really need these extra dates to be able to go to Cliff Keen Las Vegas, to go to these other events, to get enough matches to qualify for gold and silver status. So, um, I mean, it almost reminds me, this is probably the nerdiest analogy I'll make, but I remember studying macroeconomics and there were four or five categories and they would explain it to you by holding four constant and just moving one. And then they would say, but that never happens in real life because these other things are all moving at the same time too. And I think that's kind of what's going on here is if you do this, there's going to be four other fallout things that, that maybe are handleable, but maybe people don't, you know, have the bandwidth to just kind of see all of that at one time. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that, and I think that's a good analogy because there are a lot of variables to this. I mean, we're already talking about well, if the experiment in Minnesota works, and if you know they they move it back, are they going to move it back two or three weeks? Are they going to move it back a month to six weeks? You know, there's all of that, and I think your point about you know the the smaller schools outside of the Big Ten going and getting that kind of competition to help their RPI, to help their qualification. That's that's an important point. Um, obviously, they can get that number of matches against D1 just by wrestling themselves, but then that's going to introduce an unknown. I mean, let me tell you, if the Southern Conference decided next week to only wrestle against each other, that would, that would mess up the RPI irreparably. Not because yeah. it, there's anything wrong with that, but because – the RPI is built on everybody wrestling everybody to a certain extent. There's got to be that crossover or the RPI doesn't work. So, and you did an unbelievable deep dive article on the seeding formula for the national tournament and how RPI plays into it. I, I loved reading it, you know, when you were, you know, over at open mat, I nerded out and took as many notes. I actually called you about that made sure I understood it just for my own process and my own education. But it is crucial that, I mean, look, if you are a, if you're a fan of XYZ University, you want what's, or a coach at that, you care about what's best for XYZ University. You and me are sort of in the caring what's for the greater good of wrestling, you know, bunch. And in that category, it's really important to create at least the opportunity for competitive balance. You know, so that these schools do have, like, I remember, like, when Edinburgh or Northern Iowa would go to the Midlands and they wrestled really well, you know, if they won out, like, I remember one year Cologne pinned Ramos, I remember telling my buddy, I'm like, if he doesn't lose, he's going to be seated above Ramos at Nationals for sure because he's got a head-to-head pin against him. So those guys have to have those opportunities 
or else it's just going to become like, well, there's 25 schools that wrestle, and then these other schools, well, they can kind of have their own tournament. And then that's not what any of us want to see. That, that's not good for anybody. Absolutely. And, you know, you hit on the chance to go out and slay a giant like, you know, Cologne did to Ramos, but it's, the converse is also true because we see it every year, these guys that are 25 and one going into the national tournament, haven't wrestled anybody in the top 20 and it, they're impossible to see because you have no idea how good they are. And it just, you see that even more like at the state tournaments, right? Where these sure. kids just wrestle, wrestle little podunk schedules and, and that's why they use formulas there because we're like, well, we're just going to put all the ones against the fours and do a blind draw just to get away from that. But you're right. It becomes a disaster at the college level. Yeah. And it, and then it messes up just everything. I mean, I know a lot of people will, you know, kind of poo poo the seating. They're not really, you know, Oh, you know, you got to beat everybody and whatever. And that's fine. But when you have a six or seven seed that turns out to not be very strong, then suddenly everything in that bracket is off. People are meeting earlier than they should. You know, that has an impact on the team race. That has and the backside is dramatically impacted. Absolutely. I mean, we see that every year anyway, just because of upsets. But to do it when you have a pretty good idea that it shouldn't be there, that's the problem. And I, I like that this NCAA is using the formulas and taking as much judgment out of it as possible because we have most of the schools wrestle a schedule that's good enough you can do that. But every now and then you get an outlier. And if you shorten the season, you could have more. And I think that's something that's going to have to get be looked into. Just yet another variable, as you mentioned earlier. For sure. For sure. For sure. So, and we'll talk about this more. You know, people can get at you and me on Facebook or Twitter. And if they have more questions about this and more discussion points, they, they definitely can. I guess the one last thing for us to talk about is, what track wrestling is got going on this weekend, right? Absolutely. I was really excited to find out that Team USA is sending all of the world team members to Yes or Dogu for men's freestyle. Our entire lineup, top to bottom, will be present. It is a ranking point event for United World Wrestling, so seeding points for the world championship will be on the line. That should bring a pretty quality field. And it's live and free on track wrestling, so that's even better. God bless America, literally. That's awesome. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Uh, and I want explain to people how these ranking, how these, how these point tournaments work. Because you're, you know, I, I think I understand it fairly well, but you certainly have a deeper knowledge of it than I do, and I think you should share that knowledge with our listeners. Okay. So basically, what happened was United World Wrestling finally ceded to the pressure that a lot of us have been <laughs> putting on them for years saying, you know, you've got to break this up. You've got to seed your tournaments, world championships. I mean, how many times have we sweated out the ball draw to see if the two guys, I mean, we had Snyder and Sajaliyev last year at the very last tournament. That was great, a great ending, but they were not guaranteed to be on opposite sides of the bracket until the draw happened. And we saw, okay, they're separated. We're okay here. Um, so they, they understand that they need to separate their guys, but you know, international wrestling, I talked about some outliers in NCAA seating, international wrestling. Some of these guys hardly ever wrestle except for the world championships. They wrestle up and down weight classes. They take certain events more seriously than others it would be a nightmare to see just based on a seat, having a seating committee just try to do it. 
So what United World Wrestling did is they said, okay, we're going to take all of the continental championships, which for the U.S., that's the Pan American championships. There's the Europe, there's Asia, there's Oceania, there's Africa, and then there's the Pan Ams. So all of those championships will put points for. So perform there, you'll get seeding points. And then we're going to have four other tournaments for each style. So that's men's freestyle, Greco, and women's freestyle, where you can also earn points. And then after this year, the world championship points from the year before will carry over. They did not do that for the 2017 world championships because they changed the weights. I don't know. I think they should have done it for the eight weights that stayed the same, but they decided not to. So basically, our guys have had a chance to score at Yarigan. There was another one that none of the Americans attended. The Pan Am championships that we sent a few of our world team members to, and now at the Yasser Dogu, they'll have another chance. And then the Medved, which I believe is in September, is the last one for men's freestyle. So they're going to see the top four in the point ranking of those that go to the world championships. And you'll see if you look at their current rankings, which on the UWW site, the rankings now are just the order of seeding points. They have nothing to do with subjectivity at all. So you'll see weird things like Kyle Snyder ranked 18th in the world. Nobody thinks that he's just 18th in points. So, but that's a good explanation of why Kyle Snyder's on their 18th. So people don't think there's some sort of conspiracy. Right. He's 18th because that's how many points he has. And that's, that's just the way it is. But what happens is you'll see like Mark Hall right now has more points than our world team member at that at 79 kilos, more points than Kyle Day. So he's in those rankings. But of course, we know he's not going to go to the world championships. So some of those guys in the order won't show up. So everybody will get bumped up and it will be the top four point scorers that actually enter the tournament. So going through the four will become the one through four lines if they all made it out to the semifinals, correct? Correct. The one seed is really key here because of the imbalanced brackets that we have in international wrestling. You were talking about this before we started recording. You know, if there are 22 guys in a bracket, eight of them are going to go on the top side and the other 14 are all going to go to the bottom side. What UWW's theory on that is, is because of the repishage, they want everybody to have wrestled as close to the same number of matches as possible on the same side of the bracket. So instead of you know, distributing the buys throughout evenly, like we see often in America, they want all those buys on top and then none of them on bottom if they can get that way. So that makes the one thing. And that's a super important thing for people to understand. So like if it's a 24 man bracket here, there would be basically eight, you know, eight pools of, you know, eight little boxes of four and it'd be all of them would have one buy in there. And in this scenario, the top eight guys all make it to the quarters and all the other 16 are all out there. And, um, you know, in the round of, or, I mean, they all make it to the round of 16 and the rest of them all start in the round of 32. So just very, very different. It's not what we're used to at all. The idea about having equal number of matches, you know, sort of makes sense, but it's definitely counterintuitive to what we're used to doing. Right. And it makes the number one seed a huge get because you're guaranteed to be on the smaller side of the bracket 
which just cuts down on the number of people that can end up on your side. It cuts down on the number of matches you need to win. And it increases the chances that if you do lose, that you get pulled back into the repshage. So it's kind of makes the fourth seed better than the third seed in a lot of cases. Too. Absolutely. Unless the one seed is, you know, Kyle Snyder. I think it's the three. I mean, I take the four. You're absolutely right. So just going through who has points out of our starters, Gilman has 20 points from his bronze medal performance at the Pan Ams. He's 13th currently. He's only six points out of fourth, um, but he's about 22 points behind first place. So he has a good chance to get in the top four with a good performance. Uh, Logan Steber is sixth with 24. He's only two points out of fourth. James Green is 16th right now. He's six points back of fourth. So you can kind of see there are a lot of guys between fourth and 20th but the points aren't very far away. So we may get a lot of guys at Yasudogu. We may see a good contingent at Medved later on the season. So we can still see a lot of shuffling. Um, Kyle Dake is 12 pack of fourth. So he's probably going to have to win and have things fall the right way to get a seed. David Taylor is second in the world right now. One point out of first. He's got a great chance at the number one seed. Um, Kyle Snyder, as we discussed, was 18th, but he's only six points out of fourth. Um, Sajulayev, just so that people know, is currently the number one seed at 92 kilos. Um, so if he does come up, he's probably not going to be seeded because he probably won't have any ranking points at 97. Um, I, seems to me he's going to stay down at 92, but you never know. Um, and Gwiz right. is, is the number one seed at uh, 125 right now. So if he wins this weekend, he should lock that up very likely. Um, but the weird thing about heavyweight is Taha Atgul and Petriashvili, probably the two best in the world. Neither one is in the top four right now, so they may need. And we would want them. We would want them to be seated two and three. Right, absolutely. <laughs> that would be great. But they're yeah. currently fifth and seventh, so unless they show up at this event, we're not going to see that. And just so that everyone knows the points on the line, uh, first place this weekend is eight points plus the number of countries represented in your bracket. Second is six plus that. Um, third is four, and fifth is two. So the number, the size of your bracket is important, and then of course your finish. Um, we got a lot of guys that could earn seeds, uh, but we should see a lot of good wrestlers this weekend. Yeah. Well, your knowledge of that is great, and I think it's it's important for people to understand that. You know, we're both lucky to know some high-level Olympic kind of guys. But unless you talk to those guys, the unweighted, the unbalanced brackets don't make any sense to, to our eye, to what we're used to. So, um, you know, I think that's a really good, you know, really good job of laying things out for people. And I, I think that's, you know, going to give people a lot of clarity. The main thing is, even if you don't understand the points, get to watch some awesome wrestling for free all weekend on track wrestling. Absolutely, and it's broken down into three days. So Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we'll have men's freestyle action with some of our guys going. So that'll be a good weekend. Did you talk to Cody Bickley about this, perchance? I, I did. I talked to Cody Bickley about uh, some other issues, but one of the things that he said he liked about this was, first of all, he made the argument about the seating meeting, but he pointed out, he goes, can you imagine a seating meeting with this this many different countries and this many interpreters all trying and I'm like I could just picture the chaos of that the second thing he said was you know if our guys want to see then they have to go to the Pan Ams they have to go to the Oregon they have to go to these events 
if they don't and they just want to wrestle, but you know, they can't complain about not, you know, like, well, I should be seated. Like, well, the system is a lot more fair for everybody than it used to be. So if you want to go get those points, you can. I don't think anybody would argue Gwiz is the best heavyweight in the world right now, our 125er, but he's done the most at this point and can keep that up. That's how you break through and make a finals. You know, hopefully those other guys end up on the other side and hopefully they have an epic semifinal match and then Gwiz can beat the tired guy in the finals. So um, his perspective on it's obviously unique because he's literally involved in those UWW, you know, conversations, but his, his 50,000 foot view, I think is something that we can all, uh, you know, learn from. Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I talked to Stan Desick once uh, about a lot of this stuff and his perspective on, you know, just getting rules passed with, like he said, all the interpreters and all the different customs of the different countries and all the personalities involved. Like I can only imagine trying to speed that and you add in, how little they wrestle each other. It just, it would be a madhouse. So this is better than what we had. Um, they plan to tweak it after this year and try to make it a little bit better for 2019. And I think that's all we can really ask at this point. Um, they're trying to move in the right direction and they don't want to make a massive problem to turn those people that aren't sure about seeding into hardcore opponents that don't want it at all. So it's an interesting concept. And if it results in more guys going to these ranking tournaments and the continental championships, then so be it. That's great for us. Right. Yeah. I feel like the college football playoff kind of conversation where they're dipping in their toe. And then I think slowly, like they're going to try to expand this. Well, let's do the points for the top six or the top eight. I think once you get the top eight, if you separated the top eight, then yeah, the rest can be drawn in. You know what I mean? You know, because you could always have a guy like Snyder that sat out and just, you know, good Lord, you don't want to draw that guy in the first round. But, you know, more often than not, he's going to be the one seed. And and you talked about it. It's the same conversation for the D1s where you want to separate guys as long as possible. I mean, I've actually made the argument to several people. I don't know why they don't seed the Nationals all the way out to 33 because they have the data. Right. You know, so – but it's it's a good start. I mean, they bumped the Nationals first. It was eight, then it was 12, now it's 16. The UWW, which was FILA, was zero. Now it's up to four. So it's, it's progress. And, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And it gives something like for guys, nerds like you and me to talk about, which is always awesome. It's always helpful because this is it is July. It's post-Fargo now, and it's going to get a little thin on the wrestling news. But if you're not watching this weekend, I mean – this is some of the highest level wrestling you're going to get until the world championships in October. So if you need your wrestling fix, if you aren't full from Fargo, and even if you are, I mean, let's gorge a little bit longer because the dog days are almost here, my friend. For sure. And, you know, no disrespect to those kids at Fargo, but they are trying to get to the level of the guys that are wrestling this weekend. So if you love wrestling, you know, this is this is the high the high level stuff that people need to really, you know, get in front of their laptops, computers, tablets, phones, whatever. And big shout out to Justin Tritz and everybody at Track for making this happen where people come on this level. Absolutely, David. That's you got anything awesome. else for us this this week? No, sir. It's always fun talking to you, man. I have a blast. 
Oh, it's always a good time. Can't wait for Friday. This is going to be a great weekend. For David Miritani, this is Alex Steen. Episode 90 of Weighing In, signing off.